This is the European Tours Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton. Hello and welcome to the European Tours Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton with me, Andrew Cotter. In each episode, we chat to one of the stars of the game, one of the influencers in golf. And this is a very special episode. We are in a very special place, the Hilton Honours Lounge. We are right beside the second green on the West Course at Wentworth during the first day of the BMW PGA Championship. And what a guest we have as well for this chat. So please welcome to the Hilton Honours Lounge, the Open champion, Shane Lowry is here. And I will describe for those who can't see, for those who aren't lucky enough to be here, that he has brought in the, uh, the claret jug. Welcome. This is, for those who don't know, there are a few claret jugs in existence. There are five. But this is the claret jug that goes back to Hagen winning in 1928. And you can explain how we know that this is the real claret jug. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I'm oh, I, I'll, right, fine. There's I'll a mistake. There's a mistake in 1947. It's Holy Lake instead of Hoy Lake. There we are. So, yeah, that's how we know. Because uh, when I got it, actually, on the Sunday evening, Harrington was there, and he took it off me. He goes, is that the one? Is that the one? And he had a look, and he was like, it is. And it says, for you, 2019 at Royal Port Rash. So, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it doesn't, they don't make mistakes anymore. And that man who engraved it in 1947 uh, met an early demise. He didn't. So it's just, it just adds to the character of the fact that this is the... This is the Open Championship, the real claret jug. Anyway, we'll come to that in a moment, but this is in this podcast, the Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton. We go back as well. It's your life in golf. So uh, tell us how it started, because you weren't born into a, a, a particularly a golfing family, were you? No, I um, suppose my, my mum's uncles, or my mum's uh, brothers would have played, my uncles, but not too much like social golf. And I... Where I grew up, the town I grew up in has like a pitch and putt course. So for people that don't really know, in, like in Ireland, pitch and putt is quite a big sport in like small towns and stuff. Like the longest hole could be only will be only 60 yards and it's kind of 18 holes, uh, par three basically, but you carry two clubs. And I started playing there when I was about nine. Used to spend all my summers up there. My cousin, who was a couple of years older than me, I used to go up with him and we'd go up there all day, every day. And, and that's kind of where I got my like, love for you know playing golf and that's where I kind of you know started to swing the club and and from then when I was about 12 or 13 there was a, a new golf course built about five miles from our house called Lesker Hills and I joined there. But sport was in your family because your your father Brendan was uh, an All-Ireland winning football football player. Irish yeah football. he was yeah he um, go awfully. Go awfully yeah we haven't done too much since but it was uh, back in 1982 there's him and his two brothers were on the team. The last awfully team to last win the Sam Maguire Yes. In Ireland, it's a very famous one because Kerry were going for five in a row, which had never been done before, and awfully stopped them with a famous goal in the last minute. And it's funny, just a week gone by, Dublin have just won five in a row for the first time ever. So, um, yeah. The dubs. The dubs, yeah. Are they the dubs? I don't know. I'm just making that up. The dub, that's what they are, yeah. Oh, they are Call the dubs. dubs yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Go yeah. on the dubs. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so when did you realise then, you know, sport was in your family, you were playing a bit of pitch and putt and joining Esker Hill. So when did you realise that you had a bit of a, a talent for it? I suppose I... Like, my, my handicap kind of didn't come down loads. It, it was coming down gradually over the years. And I was 16, I was playing off four still. And I was, you know, I wasn't like unbelievably good but I, I used to spend a lot of time doing it and then from when I got to like 17, 18 is kind of all I wanted to do and then you know I got to scratch started making the Irish teams and the panels and 
uh, started playing, you know, winning the odd tournament under 18s. And then the year after my 18th birthday, say, that year was the year kind of where I realised, I suppose, that I was I was good enough. I started to win tournaments and started making men's squads when I was, you know, 18, you know, 19. And then from there on, I just kind of, you know, because I, I only say I would only got down to scratch maybe... 17 when I was about 17 and a half and I turned pro probably three and a half years four years later so but you were coming through at the same time as Rory McIlroy and it, it, sort of since the Open Championship there's been a revisiting of the story of Pete Cowan yeah. coming across too because he was looking at the Irish boys squad he was asked to come over and cast his expert eye on things yeah. really to look at McIlroy but you know the quote from Pete obviously. yeah yeah because Pete always he always says to me, he always texts me if I do well but he uh, nailed my coach who is the Irish national coach, or Pete came over for a weekend, you know, to give us, to have a look at us and give us some lessons or whatever, um, a lot of short game, and and uh, at the end of the week, they all asked him, you know, what do you think, who's, there was a guy called Simon Ward, who was very good at the time, and they were like, you know, who do you think's good, apart from Rory, obviously, and he goes, that little fat lad with glasses is not bad. <laughs> so that's kind of, that's Pete's, oh, I used to wear glasses when I played back, back then, but it was, uh, yeah, so Pete's always, I've known him for a long time, yeah. Yeah, um, so, I mean, at what stage, as you make progress, you won the Irish Amateur in 2007. Yeah. So at this stage, are you thinking about golf as a professional career? Yeah, yeah, oh, by then it was all I wanted to do. I mean, my parents were trying to get me to go to college and that wasn't happening. And, you know, I just used to, I, I, honestly, I just loved playing golf and um, it was all I did. I became friendly and met, there was four of us who actually ended up, we did go to college in UCD for a year or we were enrolled for a year anyway and we went for a couple of months But uh, and we we were members in Port Marnock luckily enough and we used to play like all day every day. That's all we did was play golf and that's kind of where I got my competitiveness with golf and you know th- this was probably in late 2007, 2008 and then you know when Rory turned pro in 2007 I was kind of the number one amateur in the country so I was that's all I wanted to do. I kind of felt like I was good enough as well. Were you happy that he was taking a lot of the limelight and adding a bit of interest, I suppose, to the amateur scene? In, in oh, yeah, the amateur scene back in Ireland back then was unbelievable. I remember playing tournaments and you'd have, like, you might have a 1,000 people out watching, you know, walking around. And then when, you know, if you have 1,000 people walking the fairways with you, it feels like, you know, it feels like 10,000. You know, it felt like a big event. It always felt like big events when Rory played. You know, even from an early age, he always brought a big crowd and... You know, it was always nice to play in tournaments with him as well. But did you feel that he was better than everyone else, or did you feel that I, I, I can be? I as know good as Rory him? was always. It, it always looked like he was better than everyone else. Really? He, he always hit the ball better. He always, you know, he always had that swagger about him as well. And he, he was always like, you know, he was always the next best thing. Like, and it was all like from when he was. I suppose the first time I would have met him when, was when he was about fourteen, and that's when he, uh, you know, even from then. You know, we talk about you know prodigious talent, and he never won a European Tour event as a as an amateur. I mean, you go forward to two thousand nine Irish Open, and you win in that playoff with Robert Rock. I mean, that was an extraordinary week. Yeah, I mean that was. Uh, it's funny because that was my first ever event as look as an amateur in a pro event. I'd never played another pro event before, and I was happy just to be there. I was happy to go up and see all the tour trucks and. You know, see all the players. I remember walking down the range, like in Westwood there, and Monty and Harrington, and it was like, you know, I was just happy to be there. Like, and then all of a sudden, I get off to a good start on Thursday. I shot five under, and then 
I went down and shot 62 on Friday and I was leading by two shots going into the weekend and I was like, from there I felt like I could win it but there's no way going to that event I felt like I was going to win, you know. Only the third amateur to win a European Tour event so my quick question for you is, can you name the other two? Pablo Martin. Yes. And Danny Lee. Danny Lee, there we are. Yeah. That's why he has all the answers. Pablo Martin in the Estero Portuguese Open, he said, referring to his notes. And Danny Lee, well, I do know Danny Lee in the 2009 Johnny Journey. Walker, yeah. Johnny Walker, there we are. I can't stump you at all. So that was straight into the pro ranks after that then? Yeah, I, I turned pro the week after. I remember Wentworth was the week after when it was in May, but I didn't play. And I played in the London Club. The European Open was in the London Club the week after that. And that was my first event as a pro. And... Uh, didn't go too well, but I was I was on the road. I, I had like a two and a half year exemption, which was huge. You know, I felt like I could learn my trade without any worries, um, which was nice. That's a, I mean, that's a huge springboard into uh, absolutely yeah. because uh, because a lot of amateurs seem to struggle when they turn pro because of the pressure of being professional. It's entirely different to the amateur game. Yeah, even um, you know me doing what I did, I, I wasn't making big deals, but I made a you know I got a couple of deals and a couple of sponsors and. You know, I was able to not have to go out and try and make money. And that's kind of, it was nice to just go out there and be able to play golf and learn, like I said, learn my trade. And I remember my first good week, I went to play in Japan. Uh, it was the week I signed for Shrixon, actually. And I went to play the Dunlop Phoenix. I finished third there. And then I came back out to start of the following 2010 and finished fourth in Abu Dhabi. And um, that was kind of, from then on, I felt like I was good enough. You know, I, I, to be honest... The first few months as a pro were quite difficult because I was missing cuts, I wasn't playing well, and uh, you start to question yourself, you know. But after those few good weeks, I kind of, you know, started to feel good enough, and I, I had no K season in 2010 then. Yeah, and then in 2012, you win the Portugal Masters, first win as a pro, so then is that an entirely different feeling to winning the Irish as an amateur? Is this more sort of relief that you've done it as a professional? I suppose it was because, look, I had been having, like, I think I'd finished, like, I had a decent year in 2010. I finished like 60 something the order of merit, which was okay for my first full season. And then the following year, I made the race to Dubai, which I was happy enough with. Um, and then the following year, I won uh, in 2012. So it was, yeah, but it was kind of like a monkey off my back, you know, because around that people like around that time, G Mac was winning majors, Clark was winning majors, Rory was winning majors, Porrick had just won his majors, and everyone back home was. Like, all, all they're asking is when you're going to win a major. And I'm like, I can't even get into them. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of... People people in Ireland have very high expectations yeah. of us, you know. So it was kind of... They were waiting for me to win as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, just a reminder, you're listening to the Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton with me, Andrew Cotter, right beside the second green on the West Coast at Wentworth with Shane Lowry, with the Claret Jug. We've got some questions, actually, from Hilton Honours guests, which we'll come to in a moment. But we'll skirt forward to, I suppose, your, the biggest success you had before the, the Open Championship, winning the WGC in Akron in uh, 2015. To win on that kind of course in the States, they don't take notice of you in the States until you win over there, do they? Yeah, they don't, yeah, I mean, they don't really, you, you go over there, especially like I've gone over there in the past and you play on invites and stuff and when you go over there playing an invite, you get the worst tea time, you get like, you know, it's kind of... Sweeping up with the bins. Yeah, you're taking the flags in, you're, you know, you're you're not, you're not, not that I'm saying you're not looked after because it's a PGA Tour and you are, but I, uh, you know... I struggled a little bit. I played some invites, but to win over there on that course, the first time I went to that course was just a few months after my Irish Open win in 2009, and I shot uh, I shot 20 over. 
for four rounds. So I thought I would um, say, what, what was the second? If you had a told, me, <laughs> yeah, if you had a told me, I would have, I would have won around there. I would have laughed at you then. But obviously, went back in 2015, and I, uh, I won around there, and that was, yeah, that was huge. That kind of, that was obviously my biggest win, and it gave me an exemption in Europe and on the PGA Tour, which was nice as well. And then Oakmont for the U.S. Open, leading going into the final round by four shots, and that was, must have been. I don't know, a chastening experience? What what did you take from that? That was very difficult to get over. It took me a long time to get over that. I, I felt like I could... I mean, I played the golf my life for three rounds and I was four ahead going into the final round. I really felt like I handed that one to Dustin Johnson. I felt like I didn't... I played all right, but I did, just didn't fight hard enough and I just didn't have, didn't do it when I needed to. And was, um, it just, was it just nerves in that final round? Of um, somewhat, but... I think the whole thing, it just... Maybe it just got to me like there's a whole like series of events that week. You know, I played 32 holes on the Saturday in 100 degrees. You know, and then I went back out Sunday morning at seven o'clock. I was up at 4:30 to finish, and then I wasn't teeing off till half three. And it was just kind of like I'm not making excuses. Well, you but are. I am, but um, <laughs> it's kind of you know there's a whole series of events, and I just the last five holes I just I threw it away, and that was. I learned a lot then that helped me obviously a few weeks ago. But it's amazing the the sort of journey from there that led to the Open Championship because, you know, if you thought the final round of the US Open, that wasn't bottom because you, you had a tough time after that. And was that because you were trying to stretch yourself over two tours? Two tours, yeah. It was, it's just, it's incredibly difficult to play two tours. And after that US Open, I, my form, I kind of lost form. I didn't play well. I lost my card in America then last year and I just wasn't, I suppose I just wasn't happy the way I was playing, and I don't know it was what it's down to. I suppose when you're playing both tours, you need to really perform in the big events, and I wasn't performing in the big events, and then my world ranking was dropping, so I wasn't getting into the big events. So that even puts more pressure on you when you're playing in the other events in, in the, like the states, because like you know Jordan Speed, Patrick Reed, these guys are playing 30 events a year, and I'm out there trying to compete against them playing 15. So it's it's quite difficult when you're doing that, but. I learned a lot over those years. You know, when you're having bad days like that, and look, I was, I was in a bit of a slump. It wasn't too much of a slump. I was finishing, I was still finishing top thirty, top twenty in the European and the race to Dubai. Like it's not like it was like good seasons for other people, but not what I expected myself. You know, and but over those couple of years, I I did learn a lot about myself. And when you are successful after that, it really. You know, it makes it even sweeter, I suppose. So Carnoustie a year ago, or just over a year ago now, that yeah. was painted as a low point. Was that a low point for you? It probably was one of the lowest points. Like it was, but the only reason it was one of the lowest points because I ended up finishing my caddy, who was oh, uh, we were together for nine years and we were very friendly or whatever. And you kind of you've said that you regret that it happened. I do regret the way it happened. Like I we finished after the first round and my coach caddy the second round, and it was kind of all a bit like the desperation, a sort of thing. Yeah, like, I was, you know. I was I I don't know what it was. I felt like I needed a change, and I didn't know what it was. And this was the only thing I could do. Do you know what I mean? So it happened. I regret that it happened, but you know it happened, and we're still look. We still get on. We still get on all right anyway. And but after that, it seemed like my form. My brother caddied for me then for the next four weeks. We went off to uh, we played in Canada in Reno, and then we played in the PGA, and we we a few good weeks. Like we, I did quite well, and that's kind of where I feel like my I got my form back. Then you got together with Bo. Bo, was it, was it a beard connection? Did he have a beard, beard connection? Yeah. 
chubby, chubby fellow with a beard. I was he was a decent for. player, though. Was he not club Both. champion at our glass? Both so. played for Ireland, played uh, underage for Ireland. I've, I've undersold him just saying club champion yeah. at our glass. So he was a handy player. And um, yeah, look, we I've known Ball for years, and he was the only person I could think of at the time. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That sounds really bad. If you're listening, Bo, he was the you. first person that came to my mind because he was like, he wasn't working. Well, he was working, but he was working in like an office job back home oh. and uh, he wasn't caddying and I, I just rang him up and we, we went and we met for a coffee and uh, yeah, he started then and, and He's look very happy go lucky. We have a good laugh together, and he's a great person. So that's what you need. So things did turn around. I mean, uh, I suppose Abu Dhabi at the start of the the year was that really sort of vindication that things were going in the right direction with the victory there. Yeah, I like. I felt like I played okay towards the end of last year, and I was happy enough. And then I uh, went to Abu Dhabi this year, and first tournament of the year after six or seven weeks off, you're not really sure what's going to happen. And I went out in the first round and shot uh, ten under. So I was like, oh, this is all right, and. I managed to, you know, win the tournament from there, which was, which was good, and it was, you know, I was four ahead going into the final round of that as well, and um, I got caught. I went to four behind and won it from there. So it was kind of, it was a roller coaster of a day, but it was it gave me huge like satisfaction to win that because I think if I hadn't have won that, it kind of would have brought back up all the bad memories of Oakmont and all that stuff, and to go ahead and win that then, and I kind of feel like I kicked on then for the rest of the year. Hi, I'm Jamie Donaldson, European Tour player and proud Hilton Golf Ambassador. Are you a Hilton Honours member? No? You're missing the chance for you and your family to enjoy better travel, promotions, unique experience and more. Sign up to Hilton Honours today. You're listening to the Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton. Let's go to Portrush then. Did that week feel good from the start? And again, I want to almost contrast it with someone like Rory who yeah. comes in there with all that pressure said he felt nervous like he never felt before on the on the first tee how did you feel like I felt I went up a few weeks previous and played just myself and my coach and Bo actually played as well so the three of us played played around and it was a lovely day it was a day like today and uh, then I I did that so I didn't have to go up too early the week I think I went up I drove up Monday evening and I got I was able to go, I went out there to practice on Tuesday and you know I felt like I could Go under the radar that week. I felt like all the pressure was going to be on Rory, G-Mac, you know, even Porrick to an extent. You know, oh, he's won two opens before. Darren Clark, obviously. So I felt like I could like go in there, go up there, and just do go about my business and just do my thing. And then, but I didn't know how things were going to go. Like I was just trying to prepare my best and see how it, how it played out. And thankfully, it played out well. You know, I I started off quite well on Thursday. But on Thursday, like I'll say about Rory's opening tee shot or whatever, and, and there was a lot made about that. I, it's probably the most nervous I've ever been on the first tee of a tournament, and uh, why, yeah, why is that? Because I have no idea. Just it's a very difficult tee shot for a start. Out of bounds, right and left is just intimidating, you know. And uh, even though you're only hitting an iron, it's quite windy, and if you get a little bit off, you, you know whatever. But um, yeah, I was very happy to get that first tee shot away, and I kind of kicked on from there. Yeah, you were trying to sneak under the a radar, but you were a bit, you're just this enormous flash on the radar after us wow I mean Saturday was extraordinary as well because it felt like Saturday night felt like Sunday at the major you talk to anybody that was with me that week like friends or you know my coach and uh, manager and stuff and they they were scared Saturday night that like that it felt like Sunday night it felt like it was over but it obviously wasn't Mm. and uh, but being honest like I got in a place that week in Port Rush that I've never been in like and 
Saturday, I just felt like I was going to birdie every hole, especially the back nine. And then even Sunday morning, like, a lot of things happen. And I think back on going, God, if that happened, like, you know, a different time, I wouldn't be happy with that. Like, even there's things like, you know, my mum texts me Saturday evening and she's like, do you mind if I come up tomorrow? Oh. And I'm like, I, I didn't, but I know me in the past would have been like, no chance, we're tempting faith here. Do you know what I mean? I would have been like that. You know, if I win, I'll come down and see you. Don't worry. That's kind of the way I would have went about it. And um, even like Bo had his, uh, he just had a baby two weeks before the Open and his wife and, and baby drove up that morning as well and they were in the clubhouse. And I was, I was thinking back on it, I was like, I was obviously just in such a good place mentally and felt so comfortable that none of this bothered me. Do you know what I mean? None of the, the outside distractions kind of, that would have bothered me in the past didn't didn't bother me that week. I mean, we watched the, even the, the first hole though, because you go out with that lead and the conditions yeah. aren't great as well. And you're playing with Tommy Fleetwood, and for a moment it looked as if there was going to be a two shot, perhaps even a three shot yeah, swing yeah. on the first. Yeah. So how did you feel at that moment? Not great. I was very nervous in the first tee, obviously. Like the whole morning, I like I struggled to eat breakfast. I barely ate any breakfast. Didn't have lunch. I ate. I ate, I think I had two protein bars in the course. That was it. Like that's all I had all day. I just wasn't able to. Bo kept on telling me in the course, he's like, you need to eat something. I'm like, I can't, I'm sick. Like, I was, like, physically sick. And uh, so, yeah, the first hole, incredibly nervous. I hit a ropey enough tee shot. Felt like I hit a decent second shot, but ended up in an awful spot in that bunker, like the only place you couldn't hit it. And then Tommy hit two great shots. And, yeah, look, we're standing on the green. The two of us have about eight feet. He's got about, you know, eight, nine feet. I've got, like, six or seven feet. And that's the tournament right there, I feel, anyway, like... You know, if if he had a hole and I missed, would I have went on to win? I'm not sure. Maybe I would have, but it was just like that was huge. That was yeah. people don't understand how big that was. That was like well, it looked as if it settled you down, but also knocked him back a little. I bit. went on to the second tee feeling like I had picked up a shot. That's kind of how I felt. It's almost one of those where you go and you take the honour, and he says, "Oh, it's my honour." You're like, "Oh, sorry, I felt like I won that one." Yeah, okay. oh, it was a good bogey. Yeah. Um, but again, did the weather? Help you and did you feel comfortable in that in those conditions? I like I was nervous that morning about the forecast because it, like in in those conditions you can shoot five or six over easy enough. So therefore, it would take someone to shoot you know shoot one or two under to beat you. But there were certain guys. It w- there was only a small number of guys who could actually catch me that day, unless I obviously shot eighty. Like you know, I felt like if I I felt like if I went out on Sunday and made four birdies that I would win the tournament that's kind of how I felt and I feel looking back on Oakmont that's what I learned at Oakmont I felt if I went out on Sunday at Oakmont and tried to make four birdies I possibly would have won that I didn't go out and play aggressive enough whereas on Sunday at Port Rush obviously the conditions were quite tough and it's not a day for aggressive golf but I did feel like if I went out and made four birdies that I could win uh, there was one at the 15th did that I mean and and be honest here, people say, oh, I didn't feel I got it done until the last hole. But did, was there a point earlier in the round where you thought, I think I've got this now. If I just play it kindly, I think it's in the bag. I just kept on because I was like four ahead and five ahead. And then I went to six ahead and then, you know, clawed a couple back, Tommy did. And I remember I was trying to get to a stage where I was the, the same amount ahead as number of holes left, like, you know, four ahead before to play or whatever. And when Tommy doubled 14... And I bogeyed 14. I picked up a shot and I'm there to go five ahead with four to play. I felt like, right, you're going into Van de Velde territory here if you mess it up from here. And it's kind of... Positive thinking. Like it. Um, I hit my tee shot on 15. And then obviously I birdied that. But I didn't, wasn't too comfortable. You know, I still was 
feeling the pressure, you know, and obviously made a great par in 16. Like, I hold, like, a four or five footer down the hill there for par, and I felt like, you know, even that's a big putt. And, but the 17 tee shot, I hated all week. I hated it. Like, didn't like it because you can't really see where you're going. And uh, as soon as I hit that tee shot, I was like, right, that's it. I can, yeah. I can kick it in from here and enjoy it. Well, some people say people won the Open say I couldn't really enjoy the walk up the last because I, you know, yeah. I was only one ahead or, or level or whatever it might have been. But you had that lead, so was that just total joy walking up the? Ah, it was incredible. It was the one thing I've said afterwards. I just feel incredibly lucky that I got to live something like that and be able to achieve something like that because looking back on the videos and pictures of it, it's just like I can I can't remember doing it. You know what I mean? It just it happened and. Going down 18, I just didn't know what to do with myself. I just kind of, you know, what do I do here? And it's kind of, yeah, it was just obviously the one thing I have now, obviously you've got videos and pictures and all you look back on. It's just, it's incredible. Like I said, I feel incredibly lucky. And the family's there. I mean, we were doing a lot of commentary on Brendan Lowry and going into details of the 1982 County Offaly win. But he was there. Everyone, as you say, your mother came up. Uh, your wife, Wendy, was there. So to have them there uh, on the 18th, just explain. I mean, I suppose it's all a bit of a blur, but... It is a bit of a blur, but when I look back on it and I see there was like a good group of people behind the 18th green in that, um, you know, tunnel. And, you know, even from like, obviously my mum and dad, my sister, my brother, uh, Wendy, Iris, you know, Neil, my coach, Connor, my manager, Brian, who works for him, is a really good friend of mine. You know, even from like GMAC was there, Harrington was there. There's everybody who was there has had an influence on my career and I feel like everybody was there that would have wanted to be there and it was kind of that was the most incredible thing about it to be able to like share that with everyone was like like I remember when I before I hit my second shot in 18 I kind of turned the corner and I had a look and I seen Iris was wearing like a yellow jacket and I just seen her and then I started to cry like I started to kind of well up and Bo's gave me a bit of a kick in the arse and he was like (laughs) You need to hit a shot here, so come on, just hit this, and we can. You've got to eat a protein bar. As yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. So um, that was it. Was really nice. Yeah, it was lovely. Yeah, I've never seen such sort of celebratory interviews afterwards with the crowd because it felt almost Ryder Cup esque in terms of the feel of it. But the support you had was extraordinary. Northern Ireland, you know, Republic of Ireland, it didn't seem to matter at all. No, it, it didn't matter that day. It was uh, it was incredible. Like I'm sure, like the majority of people out there. There was one fella I could hear the whole day shouting, come on, Tommy. That was it. That was the only person I could hear. Um, it was mostly, uh, most people were shouting for me, but it was just, it was incredible to be able to to do what I did and do it, you know, open port rush and, you know, just the, the celebrations and, the, you know, the singing and whatever. It was just, um, yeah, it was cool. You know, play around with Tommy's caddy recently, Ian Finnish? I did, yeah. I played golf in Portugal last Wednesday with him. What was the chat then? Ah, it's grand. Like I get on well, but like Tommy's one of the nicest lads yeah. on tour, and uh, you know Finn always caddy's a great lad too. So I seen he was on holiday, and we had a spare slot in our four ball. So I asked him, "Do you want to come and play?" And yeah, we were having a chat, and we talked about you know with the other lads that were playing. They were obviously asking questions, and Finn was openly talking about you know the first hole was obviously huge, and the tenth hole that day was huge. I hold like a four footer, and Tommy missed, and you know points like that. We were talking about it. Right, we're going to move to our first question then from our Hilton Honours guests. So they're written down little cards here. No name here, so I'm just going to say this is from Alan. Um, so from Al- Alan. 
How did you? I mean, it's a it's a it's a simple question, but I think it's going to be a good answer. How did you celebrate your open win? I mean, what what were the immediate? What was the day afterwards? Like? I don't think. Uh, I think people seen. It's a problem with social media now. Everybody's seen it all, but it was. I finished. I had a lot of media to do afterwards, and I left the golf club at maybe just before nine, and we went back to the house we were staying in and got all our stuff because I really wanted to go home to Dublin to my house in Dublin and wake up there in the Monday morning. It's a long drive, but. We got back down there about one o'clock and I've got a very good friend who uh, owns quite a few bars in Dublin and he organised a party for us. Right. So, uh, was it in any way like the film The Hangover? You wake up with a tiger? Or, um, <laughs> no, do you know what? I was, I was, I woke up with this beside me, but um, I, uh, I was, yeah, like, I, to be honest, we had a great time, like, and everybody was there. My, my family actually like my parents and my uncles and aunts and all, none of them were there. They all went back home to where we're from. That's about an hour from Dublin. And uh, but all my friends that live in Dublin and you know Wendy's family were there, her sisters and and uh, yeah, it was just we just had a great time. We left there at like half six, seven in the morning. It was just and then we were we were up fairly uh, we were up fairly quickly the following day. We were at it again quickly the following day, which was nice. <laughs> I don't know. It's today. <laughs> that's what that's what Irish people do. <laughs> this was nothing but to like, do with the Open Championship so win. This was a normal day. Gaelic, like like if you go say uh, like Gaelic football teams or you know if anybody wins something like that in Ireland, it's always about the Monday and Tuesday afterwards. So. Yeah. What about all the Mondays and Tuesdays to come though? Because I know you love reflecting in the Open Championship, but you want to move on and almost yeah, put yeah. this behind you and enjoy it for what it was but somehow move on and it's difficult in a way because of all the, the demands you know we're talking to you here and more yeah. more people are talking to it, you it, it is it's a little bit more difficult but it's good problems to have like I I came here this week and normally like a week for me I'd be able to arrive in I'd be able to do my own thing hardly anybody would want to speak to you you know a week like this you might have a couple of Irish lads that would be it and you know this week I've got like a full itinerary of stuff to do I've you know I've got to really like I think going forward like I have to manage my time a little bit better when I come and when I come to the golf course like like I love life on tour like I love you know coming in and meeting all the lads that you know I'd be friendly when we sit down and have a coffee in the players lounge and we and then before you know it you're in there an hour but like you can't really do it anymore because all your time that you're at the course is you know accounted for so but it's nice to be like you said I really want to put it behind me not put behind me because that's not the right way to say it, but I want to move on and I want to shoot good scores and I want to play well in tournaments. And But this week was funny because I haven't seen anyone on the European Tour really since I won and just seeing everyone was pretty cool, but everybody is kind of bringing it back up and I just kind of want to get on with my, my golf and try and shoot the best scores I can here this week. OK, well, let's move on. Then we've got another question from uh, Hilton. Again, no name. I'm going to say this is from... Susan. Susan knows Alan, doesn't know that Alan is secretly in love with her. Uh, anyway, I'm creating... I don't know what I'm doing. Right, so where do you see yourself in the next five years? I mean, on that theme, goals? I don't know what you would like to achieve now. Um, my main goal for the next five months is to make the next Ryder Cup team. That's kind of... I've said it all along. I've said it even before. I said it at the start of this year. It's kind of my main goal from the start of this year was to make um, the next Ryder Cup team. And that's kind of... That's where I see myself. After that, I don't know. Like, I've got... I've got my card in the PGA Tour for the next five years, so I'll be giving that a bit of a go and you know, playing in Europe whenever I can and trying to do as well as I can, but hopefully just trying to win more tournaments and enjoy it along the way. And when you have those exemptions, again, you're splitting your time between both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, I do, and like we've got a two-and-a-half-year-old, so we're lucky we're able to... We rent a house in Florida for four months, you know, from February to May, and 
we go down there and spend time down there. So it's nice to be able to do that. Uh, final question then. Uh, I'm going to ask people to put the names on. I'm reading it. Sorry, this is from Nathaniel. Who would be your dream playing partner at the Ryder Cup then on that? So there you go. You're, you're in the team, but who would you like to play with? I'd be happy playing with anyone, I think. Uh, just happy if I'm on the team. But I'd, love, I'd, play, like I'd like to play with, uh, might be a bit controversial, splitting up Tommy and Frankie, but uh, I think I'd like to play with Tommy. I think I, I think myself and Rory could do all right together as well. So I don't know, but I'll, I'll happily, I'm happy if I'm there. We can make that happen. I'm not sure how, but anyway, right. If I could offer you another, another major, which major would it be? No question. I, I'd give anything. Like I'd love to uh, win the Masters. I think that's to, no Irish man's ever done it. So to be the first Irishman to wear the green jacket, and a green jacket as well, yeah. look kind of fitting. Right, we're just about at an end. Beard, what's the future of the beard? Because I've heard various things. Oh, needs a trim, actually. I, I didn't get time last week. Um, no, it's not look smart, but I hear that, um, that Wendy, your wife, is a big fan of the beard, so that's why it's... Yeah, I have no choice, really. Is this in any way true? Yeah, she, if I go, like, I sometimes like to get, like, a two or three blade on it and get it short, and she, she gives out to me. It's probably because she's able to see me, okay, see what of, I look like. Well, that's kind of your signature. I mean, it helps people recognise you as well. Not, quite... Yeah, I'm more recognisable with the beard, which is not a good thing now. Do you get, well, do, do you enjoy the attention? Because you can't escape now, especially at golf tournaments, people will be flocking around you. Not that, I don't not enjoy, I don't mind it. I, I think it's, you know, it comes with the territory. I kind of, I feel like even, you know, even before the Open, but since the Open, I feel like I've taken it all in my stride pretty well. And, you know, I, I get on with things. Okay, excellent. We've got the Hilton Quick Nine questions. Every guest we have on the Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton, we ask the Hilton Quick Nine. So the first thing that comes into your head, such as word association, this is a psychological test for you. So, uh, number one, first thing in your suitcase. <laughs> quick Nine's going well. Clothes. 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 My golf clothes. <laughs> right, excellent, right. Uh, question two, favourite club in the bag? My driver. Question three, where was your last holiday? Portugal. Portugal, thank you. Question four, favourite hole in all of golf? Um, that's it. It's impossible to answer. 18th yeah. of Port Rush. Yeah, something in Port Rush. I forgot about Port Rush. It's a head scratcher. What yeah. happened there? Uh, question five. One place on your bucket list that you haven't been. I'm really bad at this. Uh, <laughs> we are discovering that. <laughs> um, Where would you like to go? I've. New Zealand. I've never been to New Zealand. I'd like to go. It's too far away, though, but I'd like to go. Yeah, well, it's not that. Come on now. A few people have said New Zealand, actually. Right, best shot you've ever hit. Question six. The three would tie at 18 to Abu Dhabi this year. Oh, great shot. Right, uh, question seven. If you weren't a golfer, what would you be? Broke. Yeah. <laughs> question eight. Gaelic football, hurling, rugby, or football? Gaelic football. Gaelic football, all the way. Uh, go on there. What are they, Awfully? What's their nickname, Awfully? Awfully. That's Just Awfully. They haven't got a nickname. Oh, they do. Well, it's a bit rude. Is it rude? Is it a rude no, nickname? No. Is it just we're a called the, the Faithful. Faithful? Ah, oh, go on the Faithful. Go on the Faithful. Terrible accents. Right, and question nine. Finally, who would make up your dream four ball in brackets, morbidly dead or alive? Who, who uh, like to play Tiger. Ball? And then I'd love to, like, Arnie and uh, Jack. If they were at their prime, I'd love to see how good everyone was, you know. You could beat, beat them all. I'm not sure about that. All right, actually, two, two modest, ladies and gentlemen, uh, here, live in the Hilton Honours Lounge, beside the second green at Wenworth. Thank you very much indeed to Shane Lowry. Thank you. Thank you very much. So there we are for all the... Uh, 
podcast listeners at home, thank you for uh, listening. We'll be back with the Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton. But for now, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton. You can get in touch via Twitter and Instagram at European Tour using the hashtag Life on Tour or on Facebook. Subscribe now and if you enjoyed the show, feel free to rate and review us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts.